Now more than ever, the industry that fuels the world needs the right people to modernize and unify a global energy platform. The transformation is both digital and cultural. Join us as we explore strategies for success in the hyper-competitive war for talent here on the Energy Workforce of Tomorrow podcast, hosted by the IBM North American Oil and Gas Team and KIT. Hello and welcome to another episode of Energy Workforce for Tomorrow, sponsored by Ericsson. I'm here with my colleague, Jerry Lewis. Hey, Jerry, how are you today? Hey, Jason, I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm good. Who have we got here today on the episode? Well, our listeners are in for a treat, Jason, because we have an especially fascinating guest today, Liz Swigert. Liz brings to us, let's say, a very accomplished, distinguished, and unique background, a combination of many different kinds of experiences and skills, and we're really pleased to have her. Hey, Liz. Hello again. We've done some of your leadership training, actually. Yes. And thank you for coming and joining David Reed and I. It was wonderful to have you there and have you asking so many insightful questions. Jerry, this is the lady we need when we go in with David. This is the lady, Liz, that manages David. Sorry, David, so, but you someone know Someone who can already. control. Can control Mr. Mm-hmm. Reed. Yeah. No one can control a force of nature. You know, we've already then tempted David to come on to the next one. Too. So, David, there's your, your next invitation. That's there right, David. Go. Get ready. But nice. Welcome, Liz. Thanks for coming along. Thank yeah. you so much for having me. Now, in our pre-huddle, Liz, you told us a lot about yourselves. But just in summary, you were New York. I think you said you were a self-described debutante, long bowling champion, um, <laughs> but wanted to get out of that uh, environment. You picked that up as well? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Moved to Texas, went to Rice, studied. I think chemical engineering and Gothic architecture or something like that. But then wound up doing uh, history. But instead of doing something historical, when you got out of college, you leveraged one economics class into a job in tax or something like that with Arthur Anderson. Why don't you take us home from there? Give us a bit more about your background and what you're doing today. If we were playing Liz Bingo, I think you would have won that one. Oh, yeah. I got like 100 more facts I could just roll off. But I think Liz would be better to to summarize. I'm so impressed. And thank you for making me sound hideously underqualified. (laughs) So yes, you you nailed it. I grew up in New York, came to Rice, go Owls. I had an incredible opportunity coming out of Rice to join Arthur Anderson and get into a very esoteric form of international tax known as transfer pricing, which was somewhat nascent at the time that I got started and has become a very big thing in the last couple of decades. I have had the opportunity to do many things over the course of my career, being a partner in the big four, and then most recently joining a tech startup and having a chance to make a difference in the lives of young people, empowering them to be safer online by helping them make better decisions. Fantastic. And Jace, you'll remember, as Liz told us a bit about her background before we started the podcast, she mentioned that she got super interested, and I don't mean to talk about you in a third person, Liz. She got super interested in psychology, I imagine, as a result of having such a diverse set of experiences and then your own personal journey. So we wanted to leverage that, Jason, for our listeners today to talk about a phenomena that I've only just heard of called quiet quitting, but apparently is becoming more and more visible to corporations. And for our listeners who are concerned about the energy workforce of tomorrow, what does quiet quitting mean? What does it mean for them? And Liz, how does your background and the untold story about your psychological background dovetail into what you're doing now? And then what's this quite quitting all about? Yeah, good point. Well, I love how you dropped the breadcrumbs. So 
I'll start. My interest in psychology came out of two things. The first was that I had an incredible professor when I got my MBA back in 2006 at the University of St. Thomas here in Houston. I took an organizational behavior class with the brilliant Dr. John Reed, no relation to Dave. I was hooked, but I had no idea yet what to do with that, how to incorporate that into my career. And it wasn't until years later that I just took the plunge and I pursued a PhD in psychology, specifically organizational leadership. That's where I really got a chance to dig in and contribute to this area, which is so fascinating. I appreciate you giving me a chance to, to talk about it today. Did, did you say PhD, by the way? That didn't come out in the, in, the, in, the, in the pre-meet. Yeah. Even more qualified than we realized. I was going to say, I think we should add it to the 16 sort of notes about Lizzie's sort I of- I think we got maybe we know a Nobel laureate. That might be the only thing left. She's going to bring that up later. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> maybe an Ig Nobel. Um, I would say that- the combination of that, but also you alluded to my personal experience. So I lived my entire adult life with clinical depression. I was sort of diagnosed when I was 16, but formally diagnosed at 18. And I had a major depressive episode that led me to becoming suicidal in 2019 and a year away from work during which I worked on my recovery and becoming mentally well really for the first time in my adult life. And during that time, I was also diagnosed with OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, which really explained many, many things. Hmm. But coming out of that and then with my education as well, being able to not only better understand myself and why I may do the things I do, but then also understand what that means in groups, in organizations, and then especially for leaders. We talk about leaders of organizations. Organizations are made up of people. Leaders lead people and are themselves people. Yep. And so how we help people to be better people is how we help them to be better leaders. Nice. I like that. But quite quitting. Jerry, you laid it down. I think you and I talked about this before. It's all over social media. LinkedIn, there's a couple of posts a day. I would understand before we clearly spoke to you, you're going to correct us, Liz, in terms of it seemed to be people that would sit at home, just do enough and not see them. But that's generally, but it's not really. But listen Actually, to I thought it was just leaving a company without giving notice. I mean, I have, took have it Have you quite done literally. already? Is this what you're, <laughs> oh, Jerry, is this you oh, telling me of something you're going to no, do? No, no, I was completely uneducated <laughs> about it. I mean, it, it, quiet quitting doesn't necessarily reflect to me what it would be. But what we're saying is you yeah. do the minimum, you don't go above and beyond. And what's interesting, Liz, and I didn't mention this earlier, is we've been doing a lot on culture yeah, and how culture is a tool that can be leveraged to drive organizational results once you have a strategy. And if your culture isn't impactful or effective, then you don't get that extra. And so it seems like a good culture and a culture that you've focused on building and incorporate into the way the organization is driven and built would be important to try to find some way to inspire sure. folks or have folks go above and beyond. And if they're not, then maybe it talks about something, says something about your culture as well. I think you're alluding to sort of the great Drucker quote, culture each strategy for breakfast. Absolutely. Let's break that down. One, I appreciate how forthright you both were with the sort of stereotype ideas that you've heard. Yep. Um, and the fascinating thing to me is that quiet quitting is by no means a new phenomenon. But the moment that we come up with any sort of alliterative phrase for something, mm. it just takes off. So 
due to alliteration, people are not now a lot more aware of quiet quitting, mm. which essentially you defined for us. It is when individuals in an organization determine that they are not going to go above and beyond. They're going to do the minimum described in their job description. And what's become interesting is that this response has been subsequently vilified. What's really interesting, though, is that when you think about interviewing people and you think about recruiting, what do we put out? We put out the job description. <laughs> what do we want people to do? This yeah. is what we want you to do. <laughs> and now we're getting big mad that they're not doing more than what we hired them to do. Mm. And so what's important in that, what's inherent in that is a big assumption. And that assumption is that individuals in the organization, employees will voluntarily or voluntoldery in a <laughs> non-compulsory, they will go above and beyond their job description to do things that are for the benefit of the organization. And that has become a de facto assumption in business. You mean expectation? Like we expect that everybody's going to do that? We expect that, yes. And moreover, we lionize that and we almost set it to be the new baseline expectation. But again, coming back to what's our recruiting and hiring process, the baseline expectation we set is the job description. Mm. And then we come back and now we're looking for things even beyond that, that the individual isn't getting paid for, nor is the individual expecting that that will lead necessarily to promotion. There's nothing promised mm. in the formal performance management system related to those behaviors. Yeah, that's super interesting, Jason, because wow. incentives tend to drive behavior at the Absolutely. end of the day. And most companies have some set of core values, or we talked about culture earlier, but core values are the ones that strike me at the moment, thinking back on my own job history. We do right by our customer. You know, We prioritize action over something or other. Those are all like behavioral type criteria that, again, hard to measure to your point, but we expect people to do them. Absolutely. Well, and let's talk about where we first, so in if you go back to sort of the literature, when you know, fancy academics speak for stuff people have written before. Well, you already threw out alliteration and lionize, so you're <laughs> well did. on the way to you know, <laughs> redefining the standard of lexicography on the show. Told you. Jerry, I'm just warming up. Just warming up. <laughs> just warming Perfect. Up. When you go back and you start to look at what's been written over the course of over the years, 1938, there was a book written by a man named Chester Barnard. He was a CEO management thinker, and he wrote a book called The Functions of the Executive that was published by Harvard University Press. And it was like the good to great of its time, right? Mm -hmm. Like that was the management book that you were going to have on the shelf. And what he first described in that writing was that organizations have to have employees go above and beyond. Because if employees only did what was in their job description, the company could not be ultimately successful. That no company could pay all of its people to do everything it needed them to do. It had to find ways to create intangible benefits, whether that was personal satisfaction to the employee or some other incentive, as you said, yep. to go above and beyond. And that is something that Barnard put squarely on the shoulder of leaders, who he defined as essentially anybody who manages other people. He put that squarely on their shoulders and said, this is what you have to drive and inspire in your organization, largely starting with yourself as an example. And that's what has to happen 
in order for companies to be successful. So this got picked up and then you'll see it being carried through as an idea, but it hadn't really galvanized into a true theory at that time. Just to try to understand and how to make this super relevant for our listeners, quiet quitting is a phenomenon. Is it something that we're trying to fight against? Is it something that we just need to recognize? Is it something that we should prepare for? Is it almost like gaming people to even think that we should instruct them to do it for the team, so to speak? You're not going to get paid for it, but it's what we expect. What's the recommendation or is there a... It's almost a gap to what we've agreed to, right? Here's what I want you to do, but there's a plus plus and it's a bit of an unwritten... But is there something that we need to do about it? Is it corporate guidance that now we need to focus on how to prevent quiet quitting? By having a better culture or recognizing that this happens like or is it more on the employee side like you should get paid to go above and beyond or is it on both sides can you help us understand the it is holistic. holistic so the first thing i think that's important to recognize is again we're not talking about anything new what we're mm. talking about with quiet quitting is an idea that has gained a lot of popularity and a lot of attention because we have mechanisms now by which people can talk about it and raise awareness of it that never existed Mm -hmm, before. Social media was not around in the late 1930s. So it's several things. So first of all, we need to think about the fact that what Barnard said and has been carried through in all of the organizational studies since then, whether it's Katz and Kahn in the 60s, getting into Oregon in the 80s, all of the research tells us, yes, this is true. Organizations that are most successful are those whose people are inspired to go beyond the everyday to achieve something extraordinary, to super perform. And here's the other thing that makes people feel good. Mm, Yes. Doing more than you believed was initially possible is an incredible feeling of personal satisfaction. It also goes directly to a style of leadership that's called transformational leadership. Transformational leaders are individuals who get and inspire groups of people to be greater than the sum of their parts. And there are few better feelings on a team than when you set off to do something that feels like moving a mountain. And when you're done, you've created a whole new range. That's an incredible feeling, and it's something that keeps people engaged at work, and it's something that drives them to want to do more. Where things start to slip up is we start to set expectations that these behaviors are not only completely expected for the current level, but that we keep moving the goalposts. (laughs) So we make it harder and harder for people to understand the level of performance that's needed to move up, to get to where they want to be. I find this amazing because actually, if you go back to when we first started the podcast, quite quitting for me was linked to COVID. It was, and I think a lot of listeners would say this, this buzzword, as you said, Liz, and it was all around, you haven't seen the people a lot and it's a flexible sort of location of flexible people and therefore people can do it. But what's amazing to me, Jerry, is that Liz is, this is, and understanding it now, this is a longer term. There was something called, it's not OCD. No, it's OCB. As in boy. Yeah, Yeah. there you go. I want to jump in with one comment around what you were saying, Liz. What strikes me about how you're describing people going above and beyond and the goalposts moving 
the other thing that occurs to me is the rewards for the outsized performance probably don't accrue to the people who deliver it nearly as much as it does to the folks, the very few folks at the top who are rewarded based on the impact on share price, unless all of the team are co-owners or something like that. So is there a thread now that's emerging that says, you know what, people are getting tired of you know, giving their all, but not getting any part of the equity value they're creating and doing so because it's now more recognizable and maybe more measurable the impact that they're having, even though they're not rewarded for it. I think you just nailed it. Yeah. You're spot on. And I want to highlight a word you used, equity, but not in the same way you used it. Mm -hmm. You were talking about equity as share ownership. Right. Yeah. So I just go back quickly. Jason, you're absolutely right. What we're talking about is the organizational phenomenon of organizational citizenship behavior. This was a term defined in the 80s. It was uh, promulgated by Bateman and Oregon, two very highly regarded organizational psychologists. They defined OCB yep. as that those non-compulsory behaviors on the part of employees outside of their stated job descriptions, outside of the formal performance management process that benefit or are intended to benefit. Some people try. They don't quite get there. Mm-hmm intended to benefit the organization. I think it's important that you're going and why I brought up the point of equity is that because these are incredibly amorphous, like this is not an area that is well-defined as you might argue a job description is. Mm -hmm. What tends to happen is that our biases, both conscious and unconscious, creep in. And so you will find that there are people who are labeled as heroes for bringing breakfast to the office, which is an organizational citizenship behavior. Right. Now, what's interesting is that if it's the guys who bake brownies and bring them in, it's a huge deal. Oh, my gosh. He baked brownies? A woman does it. It's like, oh, but the blondies you brought back last time were better. Mm. We tend to have stereotypes and biases. And we assign, and sometimes it ends up being called office housekeeping, which is another organizational citizenship behavior. Mm. We tend to see that whether it is across gender or other lines, certain behaviors are associated with certain demographics of people. And so they are treated as simply meeting expectations Mm. when they do what is technically above and beyond. Whereas others who do the same behavior are, to steal my word from earlier, lionized for it. Yeah. Yeah. There's more examples of lionization too. I think we all have now built these collaboration tools like Slack or mm-hmm. most organizations have something, you know, whether it's SharePoint or Teams or Slack or whatever it might be to collaborate. And it seems the loudest voices, whether it's a coach, an executive, or an individual self-promoter, whatever it is, are the ones who then become lionized, even though they may not be the only ones doing the activities that accrue to the benefit of yep. the organization. And there's probably a lack of equity there too. And I can say, Jason, I mean, the people on our team who are seen to be by you, me, and the other leaders as more active probably get more press than those who do something in the background that we don't see or that they don't trumpet. I'd love your thoughts, Liz, on how do you find it and how do you make sure that there's recognition for everybody? It's an art, right? I think it's an art. You have to really think outside of what's good for everyone. That's always going to, it's very easy of, it's Jason and Jerry versus mentioning Keisha versus other people that Rajiv, et cetera. Maybe quiet folks who just do yeah. it silently. 
Well, and that is always an issue, especially with people who tend to be more introverted. Mm-hmm. Often they are the ones who do most of the behaviors we associate with OCB mm. and they're not recognized for it. Again, because the promotion aspect isn't there. The same reason that you're never going to hear about OCB because it's not the catchy phrase that quiet quitting is. Yeah. <laughs> to your point, and to your point earlier about getting really tactical and kind of down to brass tacks for listeners. One of the things that's most important here and that I hope is coming out of the conversation is the repeating of the word expectations, managing expectations, setting expectations, transparency. When people understand what is expected of them, And they also understand what is expected to be recognized as above and beyond to the next level. And they have a process. They have a way to document that. They have a way to be recognized for it. Then you have a system that really supports people in not only wanting to go above and beyond, but actually following through and Mm. doing it, moving the goalposts when that's part of the process. It's incredibly frustrating to the point that you just say, well, forget it. I'm just not going to do it anymore. And that's where you get the people who quiet quit, the ones Mm. who say, nobody sees it. It's not appreciated. There's no clear line between what it is that you seem to expect and want me to do and how that's going to benefit me. Mm. What am I even doing when it's taking time away from things I care about? Mm. It's interesting because I think, Jerry, if we have blown our own trumpet, the success we've had in the last three years, I think we, all of us, the core team that we've got in Houston Oil and Gas, we've been honest with each other. We push each other. We're very clear with each other. But I don't think, unless you're going to tell me live on air now, but joking apart, we know where we meet each other. And I think we treated it as there is pressure from head office. But as a team, my view is we need to look at it as a team be in it as in the same boat and actually make sure we promote the right people, the right behaviors and get the right results out. Because then there's a lack of this thing in the middle of Jason, hold on, I've met something. What was your expectation? Jason, two comments on that. One, I'm not going to contradict you here live on the air because we do do that. (laughs) But the problem is to Liz's point, our corporation has actually made it a lot more transactional in the last year at the way it's changed our measurement agree. system. We used to have five dimensions that we measured everybody on. Three of them weren't related to business performance at all. Yep. They were much more related to OCB and or the cultural aspects that yep. we know are important. And those are gone now. We've yep. got two, business performance and client results or something, yep. right? Our business results and client outcomes are- Easier, but more difficult and more transactional. Well, they're, they're simpler and there are fewer dimensions against which people can outperform. And I think it makes it harder to quantify how people have contributed to wreck. And it gives people less visibility in how they should behave and what we're asking of them. I think it's a step backwards, honestly. I see this a lot of businesses, actually. Go back to one area. I'm an extrovert, no surprise. I'm a big guy that walks in. Yeah, there you go, Liz. You're falling off your chair. I came from a very male chauvinistic family. I'll be brutally honest. That was my upbringing. The world is evolving, transitioning, changing. I have to course correct myself a lot. I've got two daughters, got a wife, I've got two female dogs. I'm the only male in the house. I've been for a long time. I wonder if this is the listeners as well. You've got to course correct. I think we've gone through this transition. What made me think about was the cookies coming to work, et cetera. And Mm. if you saw the Jason that was 
a 21-year-old Scotsman. He's very different from Fife. He's a very different man now as I sit here as a 54-year-old. And I have to course correct myself and think about it. And sometimes there's faux pas and I apologize. But I think that's a difficult thing as well for us to do to transition, right, Liz? And really take this on in the new world and not be the, I'm going to be left behind if I was the 21-year-old, as I said. Yes. Well, one, thank you. Thank you for being so transparent and for sharing really authentically, because I think what you said, there are elements of that that resonate with me. I know we all do. We all have biases. We've all been subjected to stereotypes. Yeah. When we think about it as leaders, we have a important first step in our leadership, and that's our leadership of ourselves. There's a large body of leadership literature, a lot of research done in this area, but not a lot of it gets put to the fore because we tend to over-index on leadership as leading others. And so what you talked about, Jason, I think is important because it focuses on the leadership of self as your self-awareness, your situational awareness, and then your ability to self-regulate. Yeah. Working in the online adolescent safety space, one of the issues I run into all the time is the question of when do you report a behavior to an adult? And one of the prevailing behaviors in the industry is, well, if a kid tried it, you tell it, you rat him out. And as we've worked through this as an organization, we said, wait a second, why are we punishing kids for something that they think about doing, but don't actually do, right? We all think things, don't necessarily do them. And that's the difference between 21-year-old Jason and the 31-year-old Jason who's sitting here with us today. My goodness. My eyes are fluttering. <laughs> the, the beard says otherwise. <laughs> but, uh, Thank you, Jerry. Yeah. No, I'll go with Lizzie's third one. Thank you. <laughs> and that's the piece, right? Is that yeah. we have to understand that as our maturity increases, our ability to self-regulate that emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. That's something that one, we need to reward ourselves for. And frankly, we need to reward the people in our organizations for. Yeah. So as we think about this, again, as leaders in an environment where quiet quitting is a buzzword, I think it's a part for us to step back and say, okay, from a process procedures standpoint, how are we being transparent about what our baseline expectations are, about what super performance looks like, then how do we communicate that as well, separate yet parallel path? How are we as leaders operating as transformational leaders? How are we equipping our people with the inspiration to go above and beyond? But more than that, how are we fostering an environment where that's what everyone wants to do? And that's how you create a situation where employees feel seen, feel heard, and have a desire to benefit the organization more than just what they're to do day to day because mm. they feel engaged, they feel empowered, and they feel the ownership. Liz, what would you give advice to someone that's sitting listening to this that is potentially in this quiet quitting from a personnel standpoint? What would your advice be? Well, one, thank you for putting it from that perspective. So as someone who over the course of my career has felt this way before, not being seen, not being recognized, one of the things I had to do was sit back and say, what is the motivation behind, like, why am I doing what I'm doing that I think is really above and beyond, that I think is really special, mm -hmm. that's not being seen? 
and then understand, well, what my intention is versus how that's being perceived or delivered within the organization. So first, is what I'm doing really the beneficial behavior that I want it to be and that I think that it is? Mm. And as somebody who has gotten to points where I'm just like, well, why don't I just give up? What helped me was finding people in the organization, whether they were peers, whether they were more mentors, mm-hmm. who were engaged in going above and beyond and saying, you know, I see that you're getting recognized for that. You're obviously really juiced to be here. How did you do it? What are you doing? Share some of that inspiration with me Mm. because part of it was simply being re-inspired because I was tired and I felt beat down. And you mentioned COVID. I don't know that there's anybody who hasn't felt really tired and really (laughs) beat down over the last two years. So starting with that is how can you rediscover kind of your joy in your performance and your joy in wanting to really stretch yourself. Because what this gives you is an opportunity to really grow. But if you don't feel that that's going to be seen, recognized, or supported, what's the point? Jerry, I've learned so much in the last half hour, quite quitting. I mean, dude, it's not what you and I thought it was, I think, a couple of days ago, if we're being brutally honest, Jerry, right? Yeah, 20 minutes ago, 30 minutes ago for me. I've been very educated. I really appreciate that. We're running out of time for this podcast, Jason, but I also think if Liz would be willing to, it'd be great to have her come back to talk to us about safekids.ai, which I think is your current initiative, right? And how that could be relevant for our listeners, their families, and society more generally. I think these are fascinating topics and we need to talk about them. And I just want to thank you, Liz, for joining us and educating us and our listeners on offering so much of your personal story and history. You know, and Jerry, Liz has got us. some books out there and articles as well, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Sorry, I'm yeah. a Liz fan. You I've can actually tell. started I've writing from... a bunch of your quotes down. I make my own book out of your <laughs> quotes. E.g., we as a society tend to over-index on leading others as opposed to ourselves. I think that's a great quote. Why don't you give a plug to your, one of your books while you're here? We'll put a link in the show notes. One of, just one of them. Just one of many just articles one. and yeah, books. Maybe the, the most, most relevant the one. The most recent, I had the opportunity to collaborate with doctors in Iglesias out of the- Julio Iglesias? Dr. Oriel Iglesias. Oh, okay. <laughs> She's going to sing this one. Yeah. And uh, on their book on conscious brands. So you can find my stuff. I believe it's in chapter eight, but we will drop a link. That book just came out. Other things, I'm sure there'll be links in your show notes. Mm-hmm. There is. But I can't tell you, thank you enough for having me on. This has just been a great pleasure. Liz, thank you. Thank you so much, Liz. Jace, have a good day. Yeah. Listeners, again, please give us your views. We're very happy between Jerry, myself, and the team to adopt, adapt, and improve our podcast. And if you really want to be like Liz and get on the show, get in touch with us and we'll do it. See you next time. All right. Cheers, Liz. Thanks, Liz. Join us again next week on the Energy Workforce of Tomorrow podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.